Say that the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I am literally recording this with an abdominal wound. He has, to quote the man himself, been gutted like a fish. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Okay, so my abdomen is whole. Yeah. Now, is that because my faith has made me whole? No. It's it's hard to it's possible. I have a lot of faith and I have a whole and complete abdomen. Are those connected? Is there a link there? I'll leave that to you the audience to decide. That's just science. Boo. <laughs> That was a really half-hearted boo from a man with a hole in his stomach. That's right. Joining us from all the way to see one of the pastors at Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I want to give my thanks and gratitude for my for my comrades who stood with me by not recording a real episode when I had to be gone. Thank you. You're welcome. That was solidarity, not laziness. That's Absolutely. the thing to remember. Yeah. Uh, one of the stories that was told in the uh, Missionary Stories episode, which was so great, included one of my current high school guys, and the rest of the high school guys lost their minds at hearing him being described as losing his chess game to the dude, the brother at the bridge. That's a beautiful and thing. We actually had a screenshot of the podcast with the time-stamped moment that he got destroyed in chess <laughs> on the podcast. And then the other guys went and listened to it and then quoted it on the feed. It was really pretty beautiful. beautiful. That's fantastic. Uh, that's, you know, humility is a beautiful thing. Sure, that's, that's Glenn's favorite story right now. Now, speaking of, of, of humility... Yes, sir. Sure. Two days ago, I had a surgery... Yes. And that's devastating. We've, we've heard. Okay. I had the hernia surgery. Now, here's what happened. Uh, the, this happened the day before Valentine's Day. Right? What, what day was that, Glenn? That was Friday. Let's see. Valentine's Day is the 14th. Did your wife schedule your surgery on Friday the 13th? She, which, like, she doesn't even care about... <laughs> Uh, okay, that's just right there. She's trying. Maybe there's something suspicious that we ought to look into on that. Well, you're you're part Irish and part Cajun. Those yes. are people known to be superstitious, right? So I'm dealing with that. Sure. Okay, so we both agreed. On. We both agreed. No, um, no Valentine's Day this year because you know it's gonna. We're Nobody dealing. wants. She doesn't want the gift you would buy her under pain medication. That's right. And and uh, people who know me know that every year I have to win Valentine's Day. Sure. Okay. It's a competition as much as anything else. Sure. Who loves the most? And have you ever been in the CVS and wondered who buys the sixty-piece giant candy heart? Glenn. Glenn buys that. Yes. The last year's uh, box of candies, heart-shaped candy box, would not fit in my wife's car. <laughs> she tried to drive it. To yeah. a meeting with to give away, yeah, and she, it to and other she doesn't people. drive like a smart car. 
No. It's a Toyota Corolla. It's a full-size it, car. It, it would not fit in the car. That Okay, so that's that's how I do Valentine's Day is I, I'm in it to win it. Right. Okay. So we agreed no Valentine's Day because we're having surgery and we're dealing with a lot. Sure. Okay. So here's what happened. I They put me under, ripped open my abdomen, rooted around in there who knows how long and what all was going on sure. up to their elbows, all that stuff. You're, you're envisioning like a Civil War era surgery <laughs> tent. That's basically. exactly. There's a guy. Yeah, it's basically they're just sawing off limbs. It's like with leather aprons. Yeah. You know, they're they're digging around. You know, bone saw and yeah. whatever. So that's that's what musket fire in the background. Exactly, that's what I'm dealing with. Okay, we got back to the house, and my wife is basically having to halfway carry me up the stairs. <laughs> we get to the top of the stairs. I had a box sitting right there. I grabbed it, turned around, shoved it in her face, <laughs> and I said. Valentine's Day, a day early on surgery, jewelry, special ordered from Europe in your face, I win. <laughs> Those are, Some of you may be sitting here listening to the podcast going, surely Glenn exaggerates for comic effect. I would bet my bottom dollar that is word you, for you, word. You can go upstairs and ask my wife. That, that is word for word. Exact, and I nearly fainted just from the blood <laughs> rushing to my head. All also, the, yelling, the one you thing know. your doctor's told you about all else is don't pick anything up. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, snatch yeah. this UPS box. Right. So basically, some of y'all out, th- out there are probably wondering, like, who won Valentine's Day? Well, I did. and that's, Wonder you know, no more. Yeah. Uh, but so I'm dealing with a lot. Don't you insist on winning all holidays, not just Valentine's Day, but anything where there's a tradition of gift giving? Yeah, you, it's a competition. Yeah, if it, it's Jed's point. birthday, I want to win Jed's birthday. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. You know, and you know what? I encourage that. I think everyone should should yeah. try to win Jed's birthday. Yeah, I I I, I come from outer space with it. I mean, I I drop a bomb on that gift, you know, where it just no one's expecting it. And then that's I swoop in and, just like and, that. and win Jed's birthday. Yeah. But here's what I'm saying is I basically uh, I have been incredibly brave. You sure. really have, and an inspiration. Yeah, uh, and, and that's why I keep telling everybody. Some would say hero, mainly Glenn. Right. And I know. Uh, Matt, that you have an emergency for us based on someone else on the internet telling us how to get in touch with our inner heroic warrior spirit person. Well, that's one way to put it. Well, we, we got an email into the old Say That inbox from uh, our friend Matt down there in Carolina. <laughs> Matt sent us a little little notification, as people will do from time to time, as you know, we have the ongoing feud with Joel Osteen. Right. It's pretty one-sided. It's mostly fictional. But the, the main thrust of it, if you're just catching up on the podcast now, is um, he has the most popular podcast. We want the most popular podcast. Right. Feud. It's it's on. We're you taking know. him down. Totally. He's got... Not, not the person, just the podcast. No, the podcast. We, he, whatever. He's... Sure, he's got. We don't even know the dude. No idea. Never listened to anything. But you know, he's got that podcast. It's kind of you know, it's old school. You know, wrestling. He's he's got the championship belt. Which we take it. We got to get it. That's. It's not personal. It's business. Absolutely right. This all brings us back to the email we got from Brother Matt down there, that there had been this person since Osteen is reclaimed, but there was, for a brief shining moment, 
a new number one Christian podcast. Oh, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. It's a name I could never make up. (laughs) Warrior on Fire. Warrior on Fire. Now you may think, is this some kind of self-immolation how-to podcast? Uh, That was my And if so, is it video? You know, (laughs) how good of a warrior would you be if you were on fire, you'd, that's true. You'd be pretty distracted by the fire, which sure. you? I like, mean, you'd, hey, you'd put this real, fire out. If you know? you're real good for like a thirty second burst. Well, right, the thing yeah. is, is that you can only do that move once. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, like you got to decide when am I going to deploy that. Yeah, you know, after that, you uh, burnt up weenie looking uh, Freddy Krueger uh, <laughs> burn victim warrior. I just want to be clear: there are many, that's not catchy. many comic book references I'm not making, right? And I just, I just want that to be known and because those are the books that you read. Those are sure. the books that I read. Like if if Wolverine is doing a thing on on the gospel, you, I, you dude, the gospel according to Wolverine, I'd be first in line to buy. Jed, that, if right. we've ever had a motto on this podcast, it's if you've got Ghost Rider jokes, you just let them out, <laughs> my, my man. <laughs> <laughs> My man. Yeah. Which brings us back to Warrior on Fire. Tell me more. If you were going to make up some terrible, semi-Christian, overly cross-fitted out, alpha male thing, it would be this. Is this gentleman's name is Garrett J. White. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good, good. Which doesn't sound like a presidential assassin at all, <laughs> which is important. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and read from the first... This is the episode description of his first podcast. I will point out that the episode description looks to be about a thousand words, which, um, I don't know about all that. Understandings, the origin and mission of Warrior on Fire. (laughs) By their fruit, you shall know them. Garrett J. White is as authentic and raw as it comes. Whoa. Tired of the one-dimensionality of people in society, mm. he has offered the highest form of practical living and living <laughs> the greatest scripture of your life as a man with a spiritual code, Whoa. as a warrior. As a warrior. Once you no longer allow yourself to live a lie, you are provided a way to live fully. People who n- know don't have to believe. They act. Mm. And Warrior on Fire provides the tools to make it happen. I don't even remember what this is about from the beginning of the description. All I know (laughs) is I want to be a warrior on fire. How do I do that? Well, Jed, um, the first thing that you do is you have to remember to declare emergency. Okay. Should I do that now? Well, you have. This is the thing is a warrior on fire uh, declares emergency. In a very warrior-like way. Okay. You know okay. I mean? So you had to. It's like, let me hear your 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 war yell. Okay. You know your battle cry. Okay. Okay. This is. Let me let me hear your emergency call. I declare emergency. How's that? Um, and and I and I don't mean this in a bad do, way. Do you have Do you have notes? On I have that? notes. Okay. Uh, I was reading more constipation in that sure. sort of an ice water enema kind of a feel. Oh, wow. Then, and we're going for a warrior on fire. Warrior on fire. See what I'm saying? Okay, okay. You know, you know hemorrhoids on fire, yes. They, we, we were there on that, but that's a different... Uh, but, uh, no, I think that's the thing is you have to be... Well, look, uh, we think... Uh, uh, that we're getting it done just because we work in inner city gang neighborhoods 
with guys who are gang leaders, and we do that with how bulletproof vests and guns and badges and stuff, and we think, well, that that's pretty tough. Sure. This guy is super tough. Yeah. Well, this guy... Because he's a warrior... On fire. On fire. Yeah. So he's a warrior on fire entrepreneur. He's a coach mentor. Right. He's not one or the other. Oh, I see. Nor is there a hyphen. That's just a string of words he puts together. Coach mentor. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. He's the master coach mentor. Again, no hyphens, no Whoa. commas. Just well, he... Well, look, this kind of creates a dilemma for me, Matt, because, I mean, Glenn has been my coach mentor for you know quite some time, but if there's somebody out there that's a master coach right. mentor, right. I mean, maybe, you know... Uh, you're may- trying, what you're suggesting is me and this guy need to oil up and wrestle it out. That's, I, I hear you. That's pretty much exactly what I'm suggesting, yes. Uh, that's Glenn's answer to everything. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing is, you can't, I mean, you right now you have a wound. Right. right. Massive wound, that's correct. So, but if you but can... But he's like, all hopped up on painkillers and NyQuil, so... That's true, also. But if, if, he's, if he's on the sauce. But uh, this is the thing, y'all. Um, see, for you and I, if we were on fire, the main thing we would be saying is, ouch, ouch. I'm on fire. I'm on fire. Put it out. <laughs> right, you know? right. Uh, does anyone have a fire extinguisher? Something right. like that. Or right. dump that bucket of water on me. Right, right. You know, if you were on fire. Sure. This guy's on fire and loving it. <laughs> yeah. You see what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. He's embracing it. He's embracing the flames. And uh, I think a guy like that has a lot to teach us. Sure. And he's got four things on his thing he's going to train you on. He's going to train you on your, your CrossFit, of course. Okay. Um, he's going to spiritually coach you up. He's going to teach you how to market. He's going to teach you about business. Okay. Now, best any of us can tell, and we did a little bit of cursory research, he's never actually accomplished anything in any of these fields. Doesn't seem like it. But he's going to teach you how to do it. So he's not a professional athletic trainer. No. With like a physiology. He was a uh, public school gym teacher at one point. Right. Okay. Which I guess would, in the strictest technical definition, be a professional athletic trainer. But uh-huh. it probably had more dealing with people who'd peed on themselves than your average kind of NFL guy. Sure, a lot sure. Of yelling absolutely. at them to climb the rope. Yeah. A lot of that kind of thing. <laughs> a lot uh, of that thing where they have the big parachute and they flip it up and everybody runs under it. That seems fun. Yeah. I, I, I would like to see people at the CrossFit gym doing that. <laughs> that would make me happy. Just, just flapping the parachute. But it's a real life. We want to be clear because it sounds like we made this thing up. We didn't make any of it's it. It's a up. real thing, dude. Right. This is beyond parody. But here's right. the thing: you, you gotta you gotta figure out wh- why you should listen to people before you listen to them. Yeah, right. Like, uh, let's just say for a crazy example, I'm a 19 year old unmarried dude. I wrote this book about the way dating should work. You probably should listen to that dude. Yeah, that's. Here's what's interesting is I like Christian authors who've done stuff. Okay. Like the stuff they're writing about. They did. They, they have done that. Like if you write your <laughs> discipleship book, you should be able to say, here are the dozen people who now work under me that I've been discipling over a 20-year right. period. That's right. Yeah. And not, here's a story about this time. I discipled a guy on a short-term mission trip because that doesn't actually work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, There's there's a lot of theorizing about what yeah. what these things might be that I thought of while I was sitting in the coffee shop. 
But uh, I think the main thing is, you know, what... And I'm just going to throw this out there. Throw it out there. And if you don't like it, you know what? Just send it right back. You got it. Because that's how we do on this podcast. Uh, I'm going to give you my what they call an elevator pitch. You know, like if you're ever in an elevator with a big-time publisher, sure. you got to quickly make your pitch. Absolutely. Okay. Christian book, Man Severely Wounded in Abdomen. Okay. Overcomes it bravely and is hero. Sure. You wins know. Valentine's. Wins, overcomes all odds and wins Valentine's Day anyway. Uh, and based on that, maybe we call it Master Lover. Because <laughs> wow. okay. uh, like ma- he's a master coach mentor. Right. And this Valentine's Day. So you see what I'm saying? You know what? I'd like to go ahead and just declare emergency off like right now before <laughs> this right. goes any farther. Because Valentine's Day is about love. Right. right. And I have mastered it. Yeah, so no, I, was, I was tracking with all that. I'm the love master. Yeah, I'm. It's I'm not, definitely it's not the thing that. you said that we're worried about. It's the things that you're inevitably going to say if we don't cut this off right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think we covered a lot of good ground. I'm. I think the emergencies have all been uh, declared and undeclared. I think we're good. All right, no, well, we're going to emergency off. And what, um, what chemical aids has Glenn had at this point? A lot. <laughs> a double dose. I've had. I, let me tell you, my my little bedside table looks like a pharmacy right now. <laughs> Apothecary. Absolutely. All right. We talked about that for a long time. So, um, don't buy dumb stuff. Buy good stuff. MissionUSA.com/slash/bridgebox. Eight dollars a month. Lots of good stuff. That's not by. That is by people who have actually done and Woo-hoo! learned things. Love me. What an awesome concept. All right. Move on to our first question here. Came in to our say that. Email address. Master if you hang out of this, love. I, we heard you. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, we will give you some ways to get in touch with us. It says, what does moving on from depression and anxiety even look like? I thought I had, but in hindsight, I think I was just avoiding everything and not making any actual decisions. Jed, can you start us off? I can, and thank you very much for the question. I, I actually think this is an awesome question because it's, it's deeply, deeply insightful. Um, he, here's... Let's leave out the word depression for a moment. I, I think, um, well, actually, let's offer a quick caveat. Depression, uh, in some cases particularly, is a medical condition, and it needs medical treatment from a doctor. Uh, and, and if that's where you're at, we really want to encourage you to go and see a doctor and talk to, with your doctor, get medicine from your doctor, and do what your doctor tells you to do. Now, Always do what your doctor tells you to do instead of what we tell you to do. Absolutely right. Effect. Absolutely right. Now, that said, let's leave the word depression out for a second. I think there tends to be a big, big choice in the way that we approach our lives. And that difference comes down, I think, often to the difference between kind of responding to our feelings versus setting a course in life and following it. Let me, let me break down what I mean. Um, most people, actually, whether they would tell you they're depressed or not, feel a certain way, and then they make decisions based on the way that they feel, and that's, that's kind of how they live their life. Um, another way to live is to decide, here's where I want to see my life go, and now I'm going to make decisions based on that. I'm going to walk in that direction. That's, that's the other way you can do. A lot of what you're describing in your question sounds like I'm, I've, I realize I've been 
um, just kind of responding to my feelings. And I, and I kind of don't want to do that. And that's actually the right instinct. So I think mm-hmm. the question we want to ask is, what does actual forward motion in life look like? Um, yes, we do. If you're struggling with depression, if it's of a medical nature, you need to talk with your doctor. If it's, if it's not of a medical nature, you need to, you know, to deal with it. But at a certain point, it comes down to now, how do we move forward in life? That's, you know, that's ultimately where we want to land. So how do we do that? Well, ultimately, moving forward, forward motion in life involves setting goals. It involves crafting strategy and it involves taking steps. That's, that's what moving things forward in life looks like. So it's asking, where are we going? Uh, how are we going to get there? And then what's the next step on that journey? That's, that's really what it boils down to. Oftentimes, and I've dealt with a certain amount of depression in my life, oftentimes you're so relieved to have that depression over with, you kind of just go, well, now we can just, everything can just stay right here. Uh, it, but, but life actually doesn't work that way. Um, you know, life, it doesn't really do stasis very well. Um, I think if you're in a place where your depression has de- has abated, even for a little bit, I think the best thing you can do is to start asking, where do I want my life to go? You know, as it moves forward, maybe that's what do I want my education to look like? What do I want my uh, professional life to look like? What do I want my relationships to look like? And how do I, and then crafting a strategy to get to those places. But I wonder if that's not part of what you're dealing with is we maybe dealt with a certain amount of depression, which is a good thing and a right thing, but then we weren't really sure what now. And the what now has to do with moving forward in life. So I think we do want to take a look at that. That's a great point. I think one of the things you're pointing to in all of that is the idea of engaging in your own life, which is one of the things that depression and anxiety can kind of rob you of. But Lee, can you walk us through a little bit of that, what it looks like to actively engage in your stuff now? Yeah, I think, um, and, and I, I absolutely um, I absolutely agree with where Jeb is going on this. And I think I think some of those things kind of form a scaffolding of like, the big changes and the big goals where we want to end up. And and within that, there's also a lot of little things. Um, I think anytime you're dealing with this kind of stuff, there can be little things that you can do, um, you know, in your day that can make a huge amount of difference just because they, they become, um, they can become a routine thing that break the cycle of, you know, like for instance, uh, the way that a lot of people deal with, uh, some depression stuff is just, um, you know, uh, stay in bed for a long time or just kind of not get up, not engage with other people, kind of, uh, kind of stay rooted, you know, kind of huddled down and just kind of hang on. Well, one of the things that, and I've talked to a lot of friends who have dealt with some of this stuff in this way is that they, they noticed a, a change when they simply, you know, set the alarm a little bit earlier, got up, took a shower and got dressed all the way down to their shoes, tied their shoes and got out of the house to do the next thing, whether that's the yeah. grocery store or whatever. And then making some making some goals like, you know, I'm going to go to a class at the gym, or I'm going to go to a community group at my church. Um, yeah. After the community group is over, after church is over, I'm going to ask one of the people in the community group to go have some lunch. And just kind of taking some things that, and depending on where you are on this, some of this stuff could feel like the biggest thing in the world, but kind of making some goals of like, I'm going to engage some people in my world. I'm going to engage some routines that have not maybe been a part of this journey so far that just change the pace of what my day looks like. So I'm not just hunkered down. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get cleaned up. I'm going to get dressed and I'm going to get moving. 
And and those things can sound like very small things, but they're actually not. They actually are, are the things that kind of shake up and shape your routine. And then if you get to a place where you can start engaging other people, make some friends in a gym class, get a community group, start you know going to lunch with somebody after after church and stuff like that. This is not all at once, obviously, but these are part. I think there's some of the scaffolding that goes underneath some of the the bigger you know goals that Jed's talking about too, just so that you can kind of get some. Uh, get some rhythm in getting uh, getting other people in your day and getting some routine that get you kind of out of the that that state of being hunkered down. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a great point, and it kind of ties into an idea we hear a lot when we work with people who are in recovery, which is the idea of working a strategy, which you don't often hear from people outside of that idea. But Glenn, can you talk us a little bit through what working your recovery in this might look like? Absolutely. I think that's a, what, what Jed and Lee are both describing is developing a strategy. Um, a lot of people who are dealing with depression, uh, they want to think in terms of cure. I'm yeah, in depression yeah, yeah. now. I yeah. want to be in not depression. Yeah. Uh, and I want to flip a switch. I want to take Doesn't a pill. I want now. to whatever it is, and then I'll be not this. Um, what we need to think of is treatment as yep. opposed to cure. You know, that mm. the idea, That's because cool. here's the beauty in thinking that way that both of these guys are, are laying out in front of you, is if you treat your depression, if you do, if you find that strategy that works, that same strategy will take you out of depression, but it will take you forwards into healthy stuff yeah, as okay. well. As Lee is saying, you, you, you build some new social connections, go out to, to lunch with somebody from the fellowship group. Now you're, now you're moving forward. Now you're, you're moving out of the depression and, 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 and onward. So really it's about finding that strategy that works and then working that strategy. Yeah. Uh, all too often we see people uh, get into a state of depression. They, get a strat- they do something strategic. It works. They work it for a couple of days. They have have sort of a bad day. Right. So it's kind of, it feels like a relapse or something. It feels like I'm sort of falling off of it. And they're like, and, and you go back to them and say, okay, well, are you, are you working your strategy? No, nah, I'm too depressed to, to do that. Well, okay, so what you did was it, it, it worked. When, when you did it, it was working. Then you stopped doing it and it stopped yeah. working. Yeah. So what's the connection here? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. When you, uh, you when you find that strategy that's working, uh, it it's about putting effort into that, being consistent yeah. with it, yeah. and then re- oh yeah, you want to d- develop that and refine that as you go. You get some good little tidbits, different bits of advice, uh, finding uh, new social things, new hobby type things, uh, new spiritual things uh, that continue to refine that and move it forward. That's a great point. One of the overarching things in this and. Um is that what this actually looks like? I think, as we uh, uh, Jed may have pointed out, Jed and Lee, you're actually on the right track here. You're just not yeah, finished yeah. with it yet. Because a big thing when you're coming out of something like depression, and the same goes for people who are dealing with anxiety or something like that, is um, th- you've let that emotional thing make your decisions for you. Yeah, that's exactly right. So actually, you say, I feel like I was just avoiding everything and not making any actual decisions. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, as we often would point out a lot on the show, it's not where you want to land. Yeah. But that's actually an important point, and it's also good to know what you're actually aiming for because you're never going to get to a point where the positive stuff just carries you along the way the negative stuff 
yeah used yeah, to yeah yeah that's not as glenn's point out here that's not yeah and one of the things you have to work your recovery is you have to know what that's actually going to look like you know we say with our friends who you know the going to church is never going to have the primal draw that hard drugs used to yeah <laughs> right, 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 right now you can you can understand why you can go to church you can like going to church you can get that kind of stuff out of it but it's going to be a different feeling, and as Lee pointed out, it's going to look a lot more like you actively making decisions and engaging in the process. But I'm not sure there's anything to despair about at the point you are in your journey. It's right. just a point that doesn't get talked about a lot. Sure. Mm-hmm. That the first thing you have to do is you do have to get to neutral before you can get out of reverse. Now we have to figure out how to go forward, but this is actually an important part of that process, and it's, as we talk about a lot, it doesn't feel spiritual. It doesn't right. feel, you know... Dramatic. It doesn't feel sexy about the whole thing, but it's actually an important part of the slog. And Lee, do you have one more thing on this? Just, I was just going to say, I think this, what you're going through, I'm guessing that you're young, maybe kind of uh, just, you know, in college, in your 20s or something like that. And this is something that is typical uh, for folks who are younger, mainly because one, one reason is that when you're like in middle school, high school, you have adults who are setting your schedule all the time. They're telling you where to be, when to be, how to dress, what to do, all that kind of stuff all the time. And then all of a sudden you shift into this transitional phase of life where you're in control of a lot of those things. And then, um, and you, you don't know exactly who you are. You don't really know what works for you. And, and a lot of times some of these, some of the depression and stuff like that happens around that same part of life. And one thing that happens as people do kind of like Glenn saying, work this recovery and get a strategy and start working through it. One thing that happens is you start learning who you are. You start learning about yourself. You start learning like, I really, really enjoy doing this thing, or it really, really helps my attitude and my mood and all this kind of stuff. If I engage with this group over here or this activity or something like that, a lot of this, you know, it is about working a strategy. And at the same time, it's about learning who you are. You're not in control of someone setting your, your schedule for you all the time. And so you get to kind of start learning about yourself and that's a really good thing. And so if you, as you're trying different things and Glenn's saying, sometimes you're going to have a good day. Sometimes you're going to have a bad day. Some things are going to feel awesome. Some things are some things are really, really not going to work. Uh, if something works, you know, in other words, I've, this makes me feel good. It gives me a good mood. It's it's a, uh, it, you know, it, it's a uh, this this seems like a good fit. Lean into that stuff, and you're actually yeah. kind of learning a lot about yourself in that process. And just to jump in and build on that real quick, um, uh, and this actually, we were talking about warriors earlier. This is an actual military uh, metaphor. There are days that are about holding the ground you already have, and there are days that are about pressing forward and taking new ground. There's days and seasons both, really. Right. Here's the thing on that. there You don't control which days the depression is going to be really particularly hard. Right. You don't have any control over that. And those are the days you're just trying to hold ground. You're not trying to give up on the progress that you've made. On the days when the depression is not particularly hard, those are days that you want to press forward. I'm going to give you an example of what I mean. It just snowed here today in Chicago, and it put a lot of snow on the ground. But it's not particularly cold right now. Later this week, I can look at the forecast. It's going to be so cold it's physically dangerous to be outside. I mean, it's going to be really viciously cold. If I go right now and shovel the snow while it's warm out, it's going to be a lot easier to live with life later this week when it's really not practical to go and do that. I can press forward today on my snow removal and then hold ground later this week when it's really, really super cold. It's kind of the same thing with depression. You have days that are easier, press forward on those days, press forward in those seasons, and then hold ground when it gets super cold outside. 
Yeah. yeah, and off of that, I think uh, this is where denial comes in. Yeah. Uh, Christians love denial. They think it's super awesome. It's it's their favorite weapon to oh, use. Great. To it really everything. fixes things quite quickly. Yeah, you just... You it's have like a, it vanished. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. A lot of depression really, really comes from anger. There's somebody yeah. that you're angry at, and because you can't be angry at that person, you turn that inward on yourself. Um, there's, there's, there may be one person, a few people, what have you, parents, boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever it is, uh, mistreating you in some sort of way. And option A is to turn to them and say in a loving and sweet way, man, you are acting bajiggity. You need to just cool down and not be so funky right now. Yeah. That's option A. Option B is to stuff that. There's no problem. There's no problem. Uh, d here's two things. Everything that you sweep under the rug, I want you to say two things to yourself just before you sweep it under the rug. One, this is not the Christian response. Yep. The Christian response is face it. Yep. Uh, it's not necessarily that it's a sinful, awful, evil thing to do. There, there are times when you need a certain amount of, not necessarily repression, but there are times when you need to deal with one thing at a time. Yeah, sure. I'll deal with this when I get home. Let me deal with this tomorrow, whatever it is. Uh, sometimes you want to fall back and pray about something and not respond in, in the moment. Uh, that's not all the time, but it's some of the time. Yeah. So we can say that, but it's not the Christian response to yep. sweep it under the rug. You tell yourself that every time you do it. This is not, There's nothing holy in this. Number two, this is the thing that's going to take me out. The thing you won't look at will inevitably come around and bite you. That's what, yeah, this is what's going to take me out. So uh, uh, when, we, when, we, when we're looking at it that way, we have, a, a, as Jed's talking about, a proactive view. Let me attack this. Let me deal with this now. And then I can hold ground as, as, as we move forward. You know, choosing that moment to confront everything, confront everything within yourself. I'm not saying confront other people, but... To deal with that and address those things within yourself, zero denial. Yeah. Let's move forward on this. That's a big key. That's yeah, absolutely right. All right, we're going to move on to our next question here. It came into our email address as well. It says, I'm a relatively new Christian. I've been trying to set aside time in my day to read my scriptures, journal, listen to worship music, etc. When I talk to my friends about Jesus, I'll hear them say the phrase, Oh, earlier when I was hanging out with Jesus, and then whatever the thing is. I know they mean something similar to the time I'm setting aside, but I feel like maybe I'm missing something here, especially since I don't hear or feel anything supernatural. Lee, can you start us off here? Absolutely. Uh, really appreciate you writing this in. I think this is a really cool question, and and uh, and I can start off by telling you there's nothing that you're missing. There's not like a there's there's not like a special magical thing that's happening um, f for your friends that's that's not happening to you. What's going on here is you know they're just using uh, the friends that you're talking about are using this specific type of terminology to refer to the exact thing that you're doing, which is setting some time aside for their day to uh, to spend praying and reading some scripture and and just kind of you know spend you know spending time with the lord that's what that's what they mean by that a lot of times my guess is that the people that you're talking to are all kind of in the same group or the same ministry or something like that a lot of times um, ministries or churches or different groups 
can come up with their own kind of way of talking, their own kind of terminology and stuff like that. That's natural stuff. Like there's uh, a, a lot of a lot of folks around here, a lot of young people that we work with. Um, they all have this thing where when they pray, they they started off by saying, "Hey God," like that's just like there's a, a Matt could kind of testify with me on that. There's like a lot of you've heard that right, Matt? Just a I lot have. of people I'm trying saying to find the nicest way to say it creeps me out a little bit, but it does. <laughs> And it leaves it out right. It's one of those things, you know, somebody brought it back from summer camp or whatever, and it just right. it gets that kind of, that stuff spreads. Right. It just I mean, spreads. Lee has this it with the guys he works with. We have it up here. There's just kind of exactly. shorthands people have. Well, I mean, and it's, it's, I've heard Glenn describe this as like, you know, different groups have their spiritual DNA. Right. And it, it replicates and it spreads. And it, you know, and, and when you, uh, when, when you, you know, train somebody up, when you mentor them, they talk like you, you know, they, you know, when guys learn to preach from somebody, they preach like them for a while. So these, uh, you know, so groups start to have kind of a terminology. And so I, my guess is that somebody started saying this phrase yesterday when I was hanging out with Jesus, or I'm going to go hang out with Jesus. Probably my guess is this is what it would be for me anyway. This is some kind of reaction against the stodgy, dry kind of religion that they grew up with in some church that was maybe legalistic or whatever. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to find a way to describe what they're looking for when they go to scriptures or when they pray, which is they want to connect with Jesus. They want to engage in this relationship. They, they're saying, I, I don't just have like some dry, stodgy, cold religion of rules. I have a relationship with Jesus. And so when I read scripture, I am trying to engage that relationship. And that's all that's going on. I mean, I, I, you're, it's not that you're missing out on anything. I think when you look at the time that you spend in the scriptures and in prayer, what you want to look at is what's my goal in that time. And these other guys can kind of kind of break down what you should be looking at in there and what 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 you want to go for. But but just to start out by saying you're not missing anything. This is just a group of people that kind of learned how to talk the same way, but they're they're just mainly talking about engaging that relationship with Jesus, and they're doing the same thing you're doing. They're listening to the music, they're journaling, they're you know they're they're reading the scriptures. It's all the same stuff. I think you're absolutely right about that. And one of the things they're pointing to is this idea of intimacy with God. As you're as Lee's pointing out, that's a little different than you know. Maybe if you went to, let's make up a denomination here, a Schmesbeterian church, and they said, oh, right. most high and holy Lord, we just beg you, you know, it's a, it gets a little weird. So yeah. you swing the other way on that, but it's important to point out the difference between having intimacy with God and just talking like you do. That's yeah. the the fault here, and you can't manufacture that intimacy, right, Glenn? Exactly. I think that's the the problem is we we, we what we're shooting for is an intimate relationship, which is an organic thing. It's a. Yeah. It's it's it can't be manufactured. You, uh, you know what works for you is not going to work for me because you and I are different people, uh, and my relationship with God is different from your relationship with God because we're different people. So, yeah. I think you know that's it's about recognizing if if we're shooting for that goal of intimacy. Um, you, in 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 many respects, you need to know yourself and what's going to create that environment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, behind that, I think here's the thing. You you mentioned that you 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 um, you don't see or uh, d- you don't hear or feel anything supernatural off of this. Here's the thing about that uh, is uh, yeah you do. Bless your heart, you do. You you have seen and heard and felt things within yourself that and you know you know that you know that's God 
trying to get your attention. Trying to get your attention and put a little squeeze on your heart. Something happens that just couldn't be coincidental, and you right. say, well, I wonder if that's, you know, whatever. Here's the thing. You've seen it. Now, here's, here's what I see a lot of people do and say. When you're in the academic environment, here's the, here's the, here's the thing that is put towards you. If something is 99% true in an academic environment, then you must reject it completely. If it's 99% true, you completely reject it. If there's 1% of this that's not true, then it's not true. Sure. You know, uh, it, uh, you know if 2 plus 2 equals 4 99% of the time, then you, know, you wouldn't accept that as a true statement and so forth. Because sometimes that's not what it is. Uh, in the realm of dealing with the, the hearts and minds and souls of human beings, if I tell you something that's true 90% of the time for you in your life, you thank God for that wisdom sure. that is so consistently true in your life, yep. and that's an amazing, amazing truth. We have things happen to us, uh, and we have feelings that we can't quantify scientifically, and that we can't academically, rigorously, scientifically methodologize out and say that's for sure something. So we say, I don't know if that's something. And meanwhile, let me get the formula right on my quiet time and yeah. whatever, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that we're, we're, we're trying to manufacture that. Meanwhile, we're having things happen to us that are ethereal, that are spiritual, that are part of our thought life, uh, that we're not acknowledging that I think are, are happening to you. Uh, and and you're, you're kind of, I, I think that stuff is happening to you. You kind of tune it out, and you're heading towards this sort of a mechanical process. Sure. And I, th I think we need to reverse course on that a little. I think you're right. I think it's a very good chance it's happening. Part of that, and maybe something parallel is happening, is the person who and mentions they're a relatively new Christian. On some level, you need enough of those coincidences, maybe not coincidences, to pile up, to you start sure. noticing patterns. Mm -hmm. But the, the only way you get there is if you're, looking at what's actually going on in your own spiritual life as opposed to worrying about what everybody else around you is doing, yeah. right, Jed? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, uh, you you wouldn't have a way to know this, but you know, all of us in the podcast can tell you, every Christian you know, particularly in your age group, feels just as unsure and uncertain and yep. um, yeah. clueless as you do. All of them do. Right. And the, th the reason, and I bet you know some Christians, I'm not making fun of them, but they use phrases like, I just want to burn with passion for his holy name. Um, right. They feel twice as insecure and unsure and uncertain. And, and they're actually using a lot of that behavior in that language to cover that over. Yeah, they're um, trying to talk themselves into it. They're doubling down on the intensity because they don't have any actual direction. Exactly right, right exactly right. Um, this is the thing is, um, you know, uh, here's the funny thing about romantic movies. They're always about getting the girl. Right. They're never about what do you do once you have the girl. Exactly. Because right. you may now kiss the bride is always the end of that movie. Exactly right. Right. <laughs> right, right. And part of the reason for that is in any relationship, the stuff that comes after you may kiss the bride is generally pretty boring and mundane. Right. right. If you love that person, it's good. It's satisfying. It's, right. it's what you want. It's a shared life. But it doesn't. It's not sexy. Right. It's not, it doesn't right. sizzle, right? Right, right, right? Well, the same thing is true with, with the Lord. At a certain point, we kind of have to, if we're going to have a healthy relationship with him, we have to have just the quiet, ongoing, day-to-day -day life that we share. So how do we, and that's a good thing. That's actually what you want. How do you get that? The basis of all relationships, of all healthy relationships, is honest, open communication. Any relationship in your life, if you want it to be good and healthy, then within bounds, you want to have honest, open communication. 
There is no relationship right. where that is more true than your relationship with God. Right. Exactly. The thing I'd encourage you to do is to stop worrying about the verbiage other people use or whether or not you too need to talk about burning with holy passion for his name <laughs> and making him famous. Don't worry about any of that. The thing I'd encourage you to do is to make up your mind to learn how to be maximum strength honest with God about what you feel, what you want, what you're afraid of, what you're ashamed of, what you hope for, what you think will never happen but you'd love it to, everything with no sense of, I can't say that to God. This is the thing. God is the one person in your life you can be completely honest and open with in all things without any fear whatsoever. The issue is we have to learn to take advantage of that. That's what God wants to offer you. That's what he does offer you. But no other relationship works that way, so we go into that one with the same baggage and the same concerns. If you went to your best friend and were completely, completely nakedly open and honest about everything, it would freak your friend out. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll... Good luck with, with all, all that. that. I mean, look, we've, we've all had a friend say, this is my best friend. I just tell him anything. They tell right. me anything. He's like, right. But that's not true. Right. Um, we all have places in our heart we kind of know I can't really say that out loud. Right. But you can with God. That's, right. that's right. part of the point. The, the, it says in the Gospels, Jesus says that the Father is seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. It's a fancy way of saying God wants people who will be themselves. We'll be honest. We'll be open and say, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm dealing with. I'd encourage you, start being honest with Jesus about the scary places in your heart. The things that you'd be afraid to say to anybody else. The good stuff and the bad stuff. The stuff that's, it'd be so cool you can't bear to say it out loud. Or it's so shameful you can't bear to say it out loud. Start telling him about that stuff. If that's through journaling, that's fine. If that's praying out loud, that's fine. But the more honesty that you get going in your prayer time and your journaling time, the more intimacy you're going to experience with God. I think the more intimacy you experience with God, the more those coincidences and moments you're going to experience. And I think this is going to start to sort itself out for you. There's a lot of good stuff on that. Um, moving on to our last question here. This came in our Tom Blair box. It says, the purity messages I heard as a teen no longer seem relevant. ha, <laughs> This is this is gonna be a fun one for Glenn to be on pain medication for. <laughs> no longer seem relevant as a working twenty something. Yeah. How do I honor God in a cultural climate where sex is just an expected way for people to get to know each other? <clears throat> Glenn, you have the floor. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The purity messages aren't relevant anymore. The purity messages were never relevant. <laughs> Ever. Uh Let's review a couple of facts. God is pure. You are not pure. Uh, you. But what if I side hug courtship? Hello, would I be pure then? Yeah, no, not oh. pure. Um, uh, uh, God is pure. We are sinners down here. So uh, I know I am. <laughs> you, you, you don't. You don't pick one sin, not do it, and say, you know what? I am. I'm pure. That doesn't, that's not, makes no sense whatsoever. Um, The other thing is, um, you have to understand what you were taught uh, with all that nonsense was what we would call propaganda. Yeah. (laughs) Propaganda is an important word to understand because uh, politicians make use of this quite a little bit. Uh, Advertising agencies uh, make use of this, uh, sell you products and so forth. But basically, when we say propaganda, we mean we're only telling you the facts that support our case. And sometimes we just make them up a little bit. <laughs> so, Put a little spice on them. Yeah. Uh, so if, if uh, 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 what you were told 
you you said to yourself, I want to know what's the Christian way to date. And what you discovered is they told you don't. Yeah. So that wasn't an answer to your question. Uh, you didn't accomplish your goal. Your goal was to date in a Christian way uh, and have a healthy, godly relationship. And then you didn't do that. So now um, you're grown and you say, well, that all seems silly. And what are we going to do now? But here's what's interesting is you're describing the cultural climate where, you know, having sex with someone is like uh, waving hello to them or something. Uh, and I, I imagine in some circles that might be true. Perhaps I, in a commune in the 1960s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, might be, you know, a, 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 a bit of an exaggeration there. Uh, but I think it's important for us to understand that, uh, that yes... The community, the, 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 the secular community, has a warped view of sex, and they're, they're basically just trying to use sex for what it's not intended for. They're trying to use that as sort of a special thrill and exciting thing, have sex with strange people. That's the best kind of sex there is. And it's a zesty enterprise. Yeah, you think about it, and it doesn't make any kind of sense. You know, two Two clueless people don't know how to please each other, fumble around in the dark, and that's supposed to be super hot. just doesn't work that way. Uh, uh, when you have an intimate, sexual intimacy going on when these two people are not intimate as humans, yeah. then it's just kind of creepy, and that's what, you know, that's, that's what the world is doing. And, and, and someone could have just told you that, and then we could have said, let's do this better. Instead, they gave you a lot of propaganda. They, they, they talked you out of that. So I think it's really about, uh, rather than seeing, uh, 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 here's the way I was taught that seems a little dated. Here's what the world is doing. Do I have to answer that? Uh, I think we have to start by saying everything you've been taught up to now is just, yep. uh, 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 again, a skewed point of view on totally. this stuff. And we, we still haven't gotten to what the godly dating part is all about. Well, we also haven't gotten to <coughs> what you should want out of something. As you pointed out, you, at some point you sat down, you went to the Christian bookstore, you said, boy, I should probably learn what love and sex and marriage and all that stuff's about. And pastor isn't talking about it. Parents aren't talking about it. Oh, here's a book by a clean-cut young white man. He says, I should just be afraid all the yeah. time. Right. That seems good. Yeah. But uh, that, at no point in this does anyone say, what do you want out of it? And that's kind of the way to place to start, right, Jed? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the thing that doesn't come up in your question at all is what you want your sex life to look like, the way you want it to function, what you want it to be. That doesn't even mean what you want will be right, but there's no sense at all of what you want. Imagine for a second, if you would, that you grew up in a weird place where they told you food is basically bad. Yes. You you must eat the bare minimum required to sustain your life. Right. Uh, it will come in the form of injections, so you won't even taste it. Yes, It'll right. just, you know, the bare minerals and nutrients and proteins you need for existence. Right. And then you left that, and you went to a place where it was just banquets, just all day, right. every day. And we all, you know, we're doing Roman style. We all eat till we throw up, and then we eat some more. That's, right. that's what we do. And you went from one to the other. Let me... Uh, alter that slightly, because in a more a real world example, not that the Roman vomit banquets aren't real world. I'm sure. not accusing anyone of that, but we've all seen these people. Let's say you were raised 
that all processed food is bad. Sure. And then you go to college and there's McDonald's and a 7-Eleven around the corner. Yeah. I think we've all seen how that plays out. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. And I actually kind of was that guy. So um, you went from, you know, all processed food is bad, you know, to, you know, uh, you know, now it's the McDonald's. Well, the funny thing is at no point in that are you ever figuring out just what you think food should be in your own life. Right. What kind of food you like as a person, what kind of food you don't like. Right. Here's why this matters for two reasons and you almost will never hear Christians talk about them. Here's the first reason. For you to have a healthy sex life in your marriage starting hopefully when you're engaged you need to be having regular conversations with your fiance about here's what i'm into here's what i'm not into right here's right. what here's the kind of sex i like here's the kind of sex i don't like right. here's what i want us to do here's what i don't want us to do and then those conversations need to continue through your married life exactly. um if you're going to be sexually satisfied even in a godly way within the confines of marriage the only way to get to it is by having regular open honest discussions about what you want sex to look like right and, and again that should start during your engagement process yeah we should have goals in this thing you know? absolutely like everything else that's reason one why we need to be clear on what we want here's reason two you kind of can't hear what God wants something to be if you're not clear on what you want it to be because mm. you have to get yourself out of the way in order to hear God yes and That's if you good. won't be honest about what you want, you're almost never going to hear what God wants. Right. It goes back to the sweeping under the rug thing from earlier. That's yes. exactly right. Yes. That's yes. exactly right. Here's one of the things Christians get afraid of, is they get afraid of admitting they want something wrong. Right. Okay. When I was a single guy, I wanted sex with everybody all the time. Right. Now, that was super wrong. Right. It was super bad, but it was only in being willing to admit that to God. Hey, God, I want sex with everybody all the time. That. I could start to hear God say, well, that's not quite what I have for you, right, right. but I hear you, and, right. I, and I hear there's a desire there. Let me tell you about what I'd like to do right. with that desire. I'd like to focus all that on one person yeah. and then satisfy it. Exactly right. Turns out, much better idea than the one I had. Yes. God, yes, God yes. was definitely right. That <laughs> yes. was the way to go for sure. Yes, yes, yes. Um, But the thing is, I had to be honest about my uncool, wrong, and fairly creepy desire right, in right. order to really let God weigh in. Right. God is not scared of your sex drive. That's right. God is not scared of your sexual desires. God's not scared of what you're into. But I wonder if you are. Right. And I think yeah. that's part of what's going on here is you were told everything is bad and then you were told nothing is bad. And we missed out on you figuring out what you're actually interested in, right or wrong, right. anywhere in between. And I, and I think we need to do some work on figuring out what do you want your sex life to look like? What do you want your dating life to look like in order to move forward? Yeah. That's all great. One of the things you point out there that's very important on both sides of this thing, we talk about on the podcast for amount left and right limits. Um, anyone who tells you you can't even look at the other side of this lest you be tempted into sin, is probably <laughs> full of crap. Yeah, almost right. certainly. That's either way. Now, whether that goes with, you know, the fully processed foods or the whatever, anybody who says you can't even look upon the options here doesn't actually believe what they're telling you holds up to any scrutiny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, And the thing on that is this is all fear, and it's fear based on misunderstanding of how sex and intimacy actually relate on both ends of this, right, Lee? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the whole thing is that most most young Christians are just given this message because adults are scared to death that they're going to have sex. It's the it's that's it. That's the whole thing. All of um, like 99% of everything that young young Christians hear about sex has to do with just it comes from a place of just all the adults in the room are deathly afraid that some of them are going to have sex. 
And often that fear comes from the fact that all the adults in that room had premarital sex and mm-hmm. still feel guilty about it because <laughs> yeah. they never worked through that. Yep. Yeah, they never worked through the grace that Jesus offers them for free. They never work through the, 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 the way that he wants to fulfill their life and fulfill their sexual desires like Jed's talking about. And so everybody's just deathly afraid. Well, you know, it's kind of that, it's that Glenn thing of the opposite of a bad idea is another bad idea, you know? And so, you know, this idea that you can't even know somebody unless you have sex with them. Well, that's not the way that sex actually works. Sex no. doesn't... The act of sex does not create intimacy, but the thing that makes sex great is when there is intimacy to you know to in that mix. When when a couple has that in, intimate relationship, when they have an intimate friendship and love for each other, and then they their sexuality is all part of that. That's when the thing becomes amazing and satisfying. But that comes from the, it comes from the it comes from this commitment of marriage. It comes from the, the, you know, being open and honest about what you want and trying to figure out the whole thing and learning about each other and that whole deal. It comes from that. It doesn't, sex doesn't create that. Great sex requires intimacy to be awesome. Otherwise, it actually, what actually ends up happening is it actually ends up creating distance. I can't tell you the number of people who have, you know, who, who have come to me and said, you know, well, we went ahead and, you know, we got together and, and, uh, and, you know, and, and I'm like, well, did you guys, you know, did you guys talk about your boundaries? Did you pray about that? Have we, you know, do you have any plan or anything like that? And well, we didn't really do that. We just kind of, uh, well, we, we, we just had sex and I'm like, well, how did that go? And they're like, well, uh, we kind of hate each other now and I think we're going to break up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, and, in, in my job, it's never one of those things where it's like, you know, it's not one of those things where you start shaking your, you know, shaking the finger and say, I told you so and all this kind of stuff and everybody should be afraid of having sex. I always tell guys, look, the advice that I'm giving you is because I'm for your sex life. Yeah. I'm yeah, for right. it being awesome one day. The the when I when I give you advice about not doing this right now and making a uh, uh, you know and and working towards a, a married life where you have awesome sex and intimacy and everything it's because I'm for you it's and nobody wants to take anything away from you it's just that you can't have it without the intimacy and without the safety of that promise and all that kind of stuff i absolutely i agree with that uh that lee is saying one quick little thing i want to want to add on to this is uh i hear a lot of people talk about uh, you know, I had this legalistic advice from this crazy book. Now that I'm in my 20s, I realize that was not the thing. Then the world is doing this. So now which one do I choose? Yeah. And it's, I, I actually hear that a lot. And, and I want to stipulate, do not choose either of these. As, yeah. <laughs> as Lee was saying, the opposite of a bad idea is another bad idea. And I really want to encourage uh, everybody listening to this, if you're single and, uh, and you're looking forward to... Uh, having a dating life in marriage, make up your own rules. Yeah. Come up with your own ideas of these things. Yep. Um, if it makes sense to you, say, okay, uh, when, when, we're, when we're on our first date, this is what it should look like physically. When we're dating or steadily over time, it should look like this. When we're exclusive, it should look like this. When we've been together for a year, it lo- should look like this. When we're engaged, it, we should be doing these things. And then when we get married, you know, gentlemen, start your engines, release the doves, uh, let the games begin, <laughs> you know, and everything, you know, whatever. But the idea is I, I, if you have a sense of how that ought to look and, and an arc of that, you could just make that up. And then, then the person you're 
take the person that you're dating and say that you had to do that. Yeah. You could you could Th- just That's what I'm into. That's what I want to see happen. Th- th- you could, that's absolutely uh, maybe you have to negotiate a little. Their their arc of that looks a little different from yours, but that's uh that's actually the best way to do this thing is to tune out all of these crazy knuckleheads yeah. and come up with your own stuff. That's almost certainly going to be better, especially if you use the kind of wisdom that we're talking about here. Of, of it, and, and Lee is right. This is pro- propaganda about don't have sex. And we're let us be honest with you. We do not want you to have sex before you're married. Right. Nope. We really super don't want you to do that. Um, so, you know, we feel the same way on that end. But we want you to have healthy physical interactions before you're married. Take it easy. But, you know, we want to have kissing and hugging and so forth. But not special hugging. But not That's the different. Special you say, space, save the special hug for after the marriage. And after you get married, we want you to have as much special hugging yeah, as, rock out. as possible. Uh, and we want for that to always be healthy. Uh, so, so you know, I think you're better off really finding your own path through that. But it's Here's just the about the... I'm sorry, Jed. You're good. Go for it, buddy. I, I was just saying, it's, uh, this whole thing, though, the difference in the whole thing, I mean, because as Glenn's saying, we're saying, you know, before you get married you know sex is right out you know uh, just like it's like well you guys sound just like them the whole difference is we're not motivating or navigating anything by being afraid of it right yeah. we're not afraid of it we're not right. afraid of any of that stuff we're not afraid of your sin we're not afraid of your past we're not afraid of the journey that you're on and what God, and we're not afraid of god's ability to reach in and redeem whatever mistakes have been made or whatever we're not afraid right. of any of that process yeah. anything that we are doing it's motivated by we want you to have the most awesome sex life that's ever happened ever for anybody right. that's that's the whole motivation and let us use let us it's it's like uh it's glenn it's like you were saying on your blog the other day look I, it took me 10 years to learn some you know some of the you know get over some of the mistakes that i made and learn some of the things i'm i'm giving it to you in 10 seconds you get to right. skip the whole 10 yeah. years right. of mistakes and you get to go right to the good stuff so you know when we're saying listen to us on this stuff we're we're saying we're on your side here we don't want you to be afraid of anything we're trying to help you find satisfaction here Real quick, just a final closing thought. Here, here, here's the reason you know why we're, we're telling this. We're telling you is all the stuff you've been told. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, even yeah, yeah. you know, we don't ever want you to forget about the Bible. But even if you didn't know any Bible, stuff still doesn't work on both sides. The mm-hmm. whole don't date anybody, be afraid of sex and whatnot. We can tell you, as people have done a lot of counseling, that does not work. It doesn't pan out. You really don't want that. On the opposite end, the whole have sex with everybody all the time thing, that doesn't work either. And here's the proof. Eric Clapton got married. Right. Okay? Rock stars get married. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Everybody ultimately winds up in a committed relationship working out physical intimacy within that context. The whole wild and free and, you know, a different person every night, it's just not sustainable. They they all get married and, and move out into the country and have sheep. Yeah. So, you know, it's it just both of those extremes, they don't work. Right. Neither of them work. We, we want to see you do something that will actually go somewhere. It turns out sex within the context of a committed relationship, which, again, within Christianity means marriage, that will work. That has that, that has the potential to be satisfying. That has the potential to, to work in the long term. Those other things do not. And that's why we want to point you in that direction. 
couple very important things to close on here. One is if you're a young person who just had to Wikipedia who Eric Clapton <laughs> is, please tweet Jed and tell him that because I enjoyed that a lot. The other thing is I want to go back to something Lee was saying there and all these guys have said that this whole the whole purity whatever is entirely based in fear and it can be tricky to see that because as we were talking a little bit earlier about the way, you know, people will sometimes couch their own insecurity about their actual walk with God and the, you know, holy fire of making him famous and the people who are talking in a place that's based from fear don't often say the words you should be afraid. Yeah. Sometimes they do. And people still buy those books, but that's a rant for another day. Well, there's a lot of, you got to be careful. Yeah. If someone's telling you as again, I believe Glenn got this written into his blog recently. You know, I like this. I like this girl and we're dating, but our church elders said we should never be alone together or we'll automatically start having sex. That is fear. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That is saying you should be so horrified of your own primal urges right. that you should live your life based around never being in a room alone with a member of the opposite sex, lest right. you turn into some kind of beast. Right. <laughs> that is fear. Right. You probably heard this verse a lot. This is coming out of First John four that says, "Perfect love casts out fear," that's because right. fear has to do with, with punishment. punishment. That's right. That's the thing. All these people on this purity stuff are pitching you, and this is a very important thing, as Lee said. They're telling you, don't have sex before marriage. We're telling you don't have sex before marriage. The reason they're telling you don't have sex before marriage is don't have sex before marriage because God will curse your eventual marriage you have. And that's actually what they're saying. Yeah, it is. As in, you will never have an actual marriage. God, you're no kids. You will this. this Doom! 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 That's in those books. And even if it's not explicitly in that language, every one of those books has, here's a story about Susan. Susan had sex before she got married, and now she has been divorced four times. Who's to say why that happened? Soul ties and all that. Soul ties, absolutely. What we're telling you is, (laughs) if you have sex before marriage, it's not going to be what you think it is. Yeah, It's going to be wasted time. You're going to feel bad about it. Just... Trust us. But if you do it anyway, that's fine. Get back on the horse. Come on back. God can redeem it all. God can redeem it all. It's all great. And we're coming at you, and people who have the right attitude are coming from a place of grace and love and courage and hope and not fear and doom. And to go all the way back to the emergency, when you hear Christian stuff, it's important to look at who is this person and what's the underlying thing that seems to be motivating them? Is it yeah. them wanting to get famous? <laughs> Is it crippling fear of everything? Those are the kind of things we should learn to tune in and out on. So if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com or thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. If you're writing into the Tumblr, please mention the podcast and that message so I can make sure to get it on here. We always have Bridgebox. That's our monthly subscription service. That's sermons, songs, uh, devotionals, longer written pieces, this Months is, are we still on How to Honor Your Parents? We are. Uh, the month of February is How to Honor Your Parents. We have a special guest devotional from young adult author Raj Paulus, who we've interviewed on this here podcast and recently had an Amazon.com, you may have heard of it, profile of her. And we got some music from Glenn Kaiser. We got some preaching from Glenn, myself. We got some special guest stuff. So every month, only $8 a month. Or you can sign up for the Lee Younger version. There's a brand Come new on. song from Lee. That comes out on the 15th of every month. Brand new song from Lee. A video. Some extra goodies he picks out from Bridgebox. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. MissionUSA.com slash BBLY. Thanks for listening. Just remember we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, a warrior podcast on fire. <laughs> wow.